Yeah, just two pages. Two pages. Let me put some, uh, I guess, some time parameters. It's uh, 10.45. I, I think I'll speak maybe for 30 minutes or 35 minutes, and then uh, maybe for 10 minutes or 15 minutes I can answer questions. If I don't answer all your questions during this time, if you want to talk more, Jonathan has my contact number. I'm open to talk to anybody. Um, so I'll probably be, hopefully, we'll be out of here at 11.30. And let me go and begin with our fourth thing. Let me introduce it this way. I'm not going to redo everything. I'm just going to chart you, tell you where we're at, what we're going to focus on. Of course, we got that time axis. We have a a greater glory over here. We have a greater glory over here. Um, There's a a matrix, there's a, a structure of reality on these axes. Well, whenever he brings the man and the woman together, there's like another microcosm. Of course, she has long hair. Um, there's, a microco- there's a microcosm going on here. There's another, there's another matrix that's happening on a very small scale that I want to I talk about. And I want to call this the beneficial circle. A beneficial circle. Let me introduce it this way. There was a... Sometimes you have to speak in hyperbole just to make a point. This is why Jesus speaks in hyperbole so much, like cut off your arm or pluck out your eye. Um, you're like, what? You know, it makes you think things. You know, he's speaking hyperbole means exaggeration. So this guy came into my office one time, and um, he's kind of sitting there. He's kind of drinking too much. He's alcoholic, and his wife is leaving him. And and we're talking, and I'm just. And he's talking about how his wife needs to come back to him. And, and uh, I said to him, I said, I said, did you know what? Let me tell you something. I said, uh, marital love is, is not unconditional. And he like did this. And said, yeah, it is. She's supposed to love me. And the reason why I said that to him that way, and so I wanted to probe him, because a lot of people, when they use the term unconditional love in marriage, um, they think, they use it in a way, sometimes to, to drop their guard, to let themselves down, because you know what? I am who I am, and she should love me for who I am. Um, and so what, what, what's happening, I hate that term, unconditional love in a marriage, because of the way it's used. It's used sometimes to encourage passivity, laziness, um, and not, not to give. If you really think about it theologically, uh, I think I'm accurate in saying this. There's only one unconditional, truly, truly, truly unconditional love, and that's the eternal electing love of God. It is unconditional all the way. You know? But even whenever in time and space, God gives us faith and he brings us in. So he, his election causes us uh, to, to do a lot of conditions of faith and repentance and trust and perseverance, and he helps us fulfill all those things. Okay. That's theological. I always got to get theological. Let's get practical. So in a marriage, what happens is, is the man, what we see in this, in this matrix of the relationship, I guess the question is, how is a relationship ever going to get started? 
And this is, the man is going to give something of himself. And this is what God demonstrates by taking the side out of Adam. We talked about time too much, and that's, that's fine. But you see that right now the man is initiating, he's giving something. And the question is this, will she benefit from it? And when you think about it, every single woman asks that question intuitively and is wondering intuitively, and she renders her verdict, either yes or no. Like, I don't want that guy. I don't want to, I want to go out with him. Or whatever it is, she has to come to the reason of, yeah, I want him. You know, there's a benefit to the rest. This is why I'll say this. She is the first for a relationship to start. Um, the woman has to be the first beneficiary. And think about how all this fits together. She has to, to judge how I'm going to respond to him. Any response is a judgment. Um, if she responds negatively, she's judging. This, she's implicitly judging your approach and saying, "No, I don't." If she responds positively, she's implicitly judging your approach. And, you're, and so, this is what's going on here. There's a uh, a benefit, and this also um, helps you realize that in, in a sinful world. You know, this is why a lot of women, they will, if they get older, they'll marry a rich man just for the money. There's a benefit. You know, in a sinful world, okay, some women will only marry a man for the benefit and not love him, not give her, not give, she will not give him his glory, her, her glory, okay? Uh, she will neglect him. She doesn't want to get intimate with him, but she wants the money, okay? That's a sinful world. You think about this theologically, how this applies. Think about God and you, okay? God gives you all this. God gives you life and everything. And some people love God for what? The benefits only. And But God's thinking like the husband, I give you benefits, but also I want you to love me, okay? Love me back. So this, I think this is a good, helpful reflection there, what's going on here. But this gives you the structure of reality, um, this is one reason why a a woman is really not going to respond to you initially or even continually for just who you are. Okay, she, there's going to be a circle that's going to go on here, and it's called what I call the beneficial circle. So he he gives, and she is built, and then God does this: God takes the woman and then brings him, brings her back to the man. And you think, okay, that's no big deal. No, I think it is a big deal. She is God's demonstrating with this action what she is to do. God's demonstrating with this action of how the tennis game goes back and forth, how the love connection is being made. So her glory, he's demonstrating that he wants, if you want this relationship to work out, woman, female, uh, you are going to have to respond to him, come to him. And so we have the circle starting. She comes, the glory is coming, and then the man... Does he stop? No. He responds with giving her the name. Or giving her a name. A name. And then he even gives her a poem. Some people suggest that maybe he sang that. This is woman. You know, uh, she, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha. Woman. She came out of Ish. That's man. So he's giving back to her. Um, and you think about the dynamics of masculine and feminine. She, when she comes and gives the glory, she's, a, she's I guess you can say she's an initiating in a sense, because now she's giving. She's giving something. 
He gives, then she gives. He's receiving the glory. Then He gives the name and the poem. And then, in Genesis chapter 3, it is not accurate to say that she was the first Pharisee who added to the law of God. I've heard people say that, that uh, she was a Pharisee and she added to the law of God when she said we shouldn't touch that fruit. No, what she's doing is she is using her intuition to help the man and she's giving an answer to the serpent that is good, that is right, that is lawful because the word touch in the Bible also basically means communion, uh, union. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know, uh, something about don't touch a woman. It, when he means the word touch, it's the, it's the sexual connotation there. Touching there, if, he, if you touch, you eat. And so she is, she is deducting from the law of God um, helpful advice, intuition. Uh, she is deducting and deducing righteousness. You know, this is why the law of God in Deuteronomy doesn't tell you every single thing to do in every single t- case in, in all of history in, 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 in the Old Testament. It gives you, it gives you, you know, standards, patterns. And you have a case, all judges do this, you have a case and you say, okay, let's name it. This case fits this pattern. Here's the right judgment. That's what she's doing with the law of God. And so she gives a good answer on behalf of the man here because he's standing right there. And then this is where the cycle stops. As soon as Satan, or excuse me, it stops because the man does not kill the serpent. The man does not fight. He does not defend. And the serpent wins. Now we have a serpent husband. A serpent husband. He takes control. And when you study this, what's going on, there begins the taking. It's not giving. And you can think about how this works out. He starts unwinding the circle. Uh, the serpent has now taken the man's role. Okay, He is going to take the woman for himself. Um, they, whenever they come together in this sacrament, it's like a satanic sacrament. And you think about uh, Adam is going to take away her glory, meaning you can have that serpent, woman. I'll have that fruit. So he is taking away her glory by giving her to a, another husband. And she is taking away his leadership, saying, I'll have the leadership or I'll have another man's leadership. I'll have serpent leadership, not you. So when they commune together in that satanic sacrament, they're taking from one another. Um, So total destruction of the marriage begins. Um, They're taking and all the giving stops. That's where... So my theory is, is that, and I would suggest to you, that if the benevolent circle would have kept going, giving, giving, because there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit, and there's this benevolent circle going up in the highest of heavens. They're constantly giving to one another. The Father says, Son, I'll give you glory. The Son says, I'll glorify the Father. Father. Holy Spirit says, I'm going to glorify the Son. And I'm totally plagiarizing Jeff Myers right here. He's the one who developed all this, the circle theology of love. And it's beautiful. You see that in the passages of Scripture. They're handing glory to each other. 
Well, this is what's happening here. The man is to hand and glorify his wife with his authority. He is naming her. He's using his sunlight. It's starting in a very micro way. She's using her future intuition to, um, hey, let's not touch that. He's, she's helping him with her glory on that future fashion. He's helping her on the glory of his authority. And they're on their way to Song of Solomon in the highest of heavens, okay? And that would have been the trajectory. But Satan comes in and starts to do this and bring it to hell. And this is why I think this is the paradigm for for marriage, is that any man who gets married, um, you you, and the woman gets married, it is a benevolent circle. Um, the woman is not going to desire a man or love a man truly, 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 unconditionally the rest of her life. I mean, just look at the world. This is why there's divorces. I loved him, I loved him, but then he turned into a jerk or whatever. You know, she she needs benefits of that marriage to to desire him, to want to sleep with him, to want to be with him. Um, and, And you need benefits from her, of her response, her her feedback, her intuition, all these things that you talked about earlier when people are 80 years old and they're married and they just think they, they, they've learned the circle. They learned uh, that this is a beneficial relationship and we learn to keep this, keep this going. Um, that's why I call the, so I think it's helpful to see three matrix points, you know, of this and it gives us men who are very graph oriented and everything, uh, tools to, to, to weaponize this or use it for a weapon for, for good, you know. Now, lastly, let me say this. So that there's a first beneficiary and a second beneficiary. And I'm going to say something that's, uh, well, this is why the question oftentimes a woman is intuitively asking whenever a man approaches, whenever a man advances, her, her question is why. You may have heard this comically on some issues of, you know, a man, uh, she's thinking, why? What, what, what have we done? What, what have we done romantic? Uh, was, is this a good context? Is this the right place? And, you know, the man's a sunlight. He's already, he's ready. You know, uh, he's approaching. Here's a benefit. Here, or here's, an, uh, here's a time for intimacy. Um, right now, she's like, why? You know, this is, this, it helps you realize that if you want to, have a had the circle. There needs to be a contribution. You can't go unconditionally, you know, in the sense of that. She's very environmentally oriented. She is going to be very sensitive to what has gone on throughout the day that we're going to have a good night together. You know, a man who thinks that I can do this and, and be be a jerk and be mean or whatever, and then have a good night with her. You've given nothing for her to respond to positively. And so the, the answer to this, she needs to intuitively know that, yeah, if there's going to be a good night together, uh, the, you've already answered why. You've already answered her question. And therefore, she has a, a good response. And this is why it's always important for a man to, to understand what you can call game, you can call approach, or you can call it wisdom. 
is how do you approach a person and you know and you want to start the circle of benefit and encourage it to go on and that's that's why it's helpful to realize that in the matrix here she's a first beneficiary and he's a second beneficiary and then you got to keep that going um i'll pause right there for any other questions i don't want to just keep repeating myself Yeah. That's a very good illustration. That, um, yeah, she's the, she's the receptor, the receiver, the responder. Who, if if you expect a response, her intuitive question is, is, why should I respond that way? And if you haven't already answered that question in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is why the doctrine of just getting it mentally, emotionally, you know, all these issues that you you go through throughout the day, if you don't get her in the conversation, if you don't understand, you know, all these things of levels of her emotional, mental, and intimate times of, uh, you know, in the sense of uh, being in her brain and connecting with her in those levels, then she doesn't, then you haven't answered the why question as to why she would want to be physically intimate with you. So so I think that's really helpful at a very young age, especially for, for men to understand that that's that feminine nature. And a more theological thing, I just love how the Bible is illuminating all of this. The Bible is like demonstrating this. And so I think you, you can go read all the sex books and all the you know relationship books in the world but you're never going to get outside this matrix that I just showed you because this is what the Bible's teaching. It's just going to be an improvement. Jonathan, what? what? Uh, a lot of this is implicit. You can think about this. And this is stuff that's so beautiful. You keep chewing on the Bible, and juice keeps squeezing out of it. And that's what we're all going to do the rest of our lives. But you can think about this. She's being given over to a, a serpent, another husband. And so now there's an affair. <clears throat> um, in some sense, she's going to be identified with him. She is now Mrs. Serpent. You know, So it's an implicit type of name change, I guess, you can play with and think about. But again, this is the reason why God at this moment later had to put enmity or hatred between this uh, false husband and this false relationship, this affair that they're having. Uh, you know, of course, not sexual, but it's, but it's the spiritual identity, the, the union of a, of a false one. You think about this, too. All, all, usually, all affairs begin with an emotional connection, with a... Um, a, a a connection of intimacy on on a communication level, on a um, emotional level. Somebody is connecting with her or him, where the partner is not, and it starts with that verbal. It starts with that emotional, and then it gets physical. Okay, and that's that's kind of what's going on here. Is is the affair with the serpent? You have this. He, he, now we have a change of authority 
who is going to give her whose word whose word controls dictates this woman is it his word or is it the serpent's word and this is where James Jordan's really good on this it's not about God's word right now as much as it is the man's word God delegated his word to the man and now Satan is going after the man's word that was given to the woman the Satan is saying that's not the man you want I'm the man you want I have God's word trust me um <clears throat> anybody else uh, questions of all this and it also if you I'm free for feedback or disagreements or anything so one application of this is uh, don't don't use the word unconditional love it just you know use benevolent love angle in that way or it's a circle to benevolence it's a it's a it's a it's a giving relationship. It's a giving relationship. If it if it stops giving, then lights will go dim, the future will not be happy, and um, it all goes to to kaput. There's a variety of answers to that. And I think about, like, if my son was right here, what would I tell him to do, you know? And um, so if I say one thing, it's not the primary. I'm just saying that there's, it's kind of like um, all these things have to de- start developing. But here's a couple things. Number one, surround yourself with the right people. Um, uh, you are going to be, pla- we're all plastic. We're conditioned by the people. Surround yourself with mentors who are successful. Uh, surround yourself with an, an occupation where there, you have people ahead of you. And you need to be going somewhere. A woman will marry you. You may not have, may, may not have arrived yet, but you're going somewhere. And so if you, really, if you want a wife, she needs to see ambition. She needs to see drive. She needs to see motivation. And she needs to see confidence. And if you can, you can get that from the tribe of men that, that are around you. And that has to be a godly tribe, and that has to be a strong tribe, and all that stuff. And so, he, a uh, young man, needs to lean on, on older men. And if you have that, you think about the word matrix. Matrix. All these patterns. We're all being shaped by by stuff. That's one thing to emphasize. Now, that's a tribal dimension of it. Personal dimension, uh, you need to take care of yourself physically. Uh, you need to get strong. You need to exercise. You need to work out. Uh, you need to um, eat right. Um, all, all these things that in the obesity in our culture and all these other things, this stuff, that all plays into it. That trickles into it. So uh, take care of yourself in that sense. Um, and then, one other word to remember is that uh, Rolo uses this word? It's called one-itis. If you ever if you ever fall in love with a girl, um, if it doesn't work out, don't, don't do not get the disease of one-itis, meaning 
She's the only one. I love her so much. It didn't work out. It, no. <clears throat> There's all the fish in the sea. There's all these women to choose from. Um, you do not revolve around her in the sense that if she goes down, your mission is out and you're kaput. No. If she, if she doesn't fall in line with you, then she wasn't right for you. And uh, she doesn't back your play, then um, it's, it's more her problem, not yours. Uh, she's got the problem, not you. That is your perspective because you're the alpha. You're the man. You're going. You're going to school. You're going to education. And when you're 30 years old, this is what you plan to be doing. And you get that vision to a female. Oh, really? You know, this is what submission is all about. Submission is a girl giving her glory behind the man, saying, keep going, keep going. So I think that type of confidence, that all of that uh, filtered into the heart of a, of a young man is, in, from some so many dimensions is, is very critical uh, for for having a future marriage later on. Um, Jonathan? Absolutely. Yeah. And even if you hit a brick wall, you just keep going. I'll give you one reason I'm the way I am in my communication stuff is the molding that my own father made toward me. He had five boys. He did all he could to provide for us. And I remember, and I, I respect my dad in this sense, and, and for this one, one, one of the many things, but one of the things I remember is he had a test he had to take for something. And he kept failing and kept failing and kept failing. And back um, on the sixth or seventh time, he finally passed it. Well, people were telling him, you know, hey, it's not God's will. Do something else. And, and I'm like, I can see that's just one sample of so many brick walls that my dad actually broke down, metaphorically speaking. He would come to a brick wall and he would make a way. It was just, that was his nature. Boom, you know, and uh, it's just, uh, so it, it reminds me, and I think it reminds all of us, you will hit brick walls. You will hit financial problems. You will hit emotional problems. Uh, but, but the strength of God gives you the tenacity, the masculinity to say, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find a way and we're going to break through. The, I got to get to the Bible too. The, the life of Jacob is this way. Jacob is regenerated in the womb and he basically does righteousness all of his life. He rightly deceives his father, rightly, rightly buys the birthright from, from Esau, and he figures it out, and God rewards him in an end and says, you struggled with God, with men and with God, and you know what? You won. Good job, son. You worked it out. That's a metaphor, the whole life of, a, of a, all of us. Um, we struggle as men, but you know what? God wants you to figure it out. And he's, he, when you figure it out and you break through the brick walls, then you're becoming more and more like God. Um, so have that in, in that perspective. Does that answer your question, Jonathan? To, but um, that's why I encourage the guys to, and, I, and you always have to be optimistic in, in, a, in a good way. I don't care how bad the world gets, how socialist it gets, how communist it gets. Um, there's, you, you cannot look at the future in such a dark light that it, that it quells you, that it, that it kills your drive, it kills your motivation. There's always, I, I use this phrase to my kids like, hey, you're going to conquer the world. Ella Grace, little Ella Grace. You'll conquer the world today, baby. God bless you and keep you because his face is shining upon you and be gracious to you. I love you. 
You know, that play into that phrase, you know, conquer that world. So that, that's the whole point there, and I think that that helps shape even children. Um, and, um, okay, I'll stop talking. Any any other questions about this but in contra- or contributions? Um, this is one of those things where when I drive home this afternoon, I'll be like, man, I could have said this. I should have said that. And uh, y'all be thinking the same thing. I could have asked him that and that. And again, what you could do is, uh, if we want to talk about that anymore, I'm open for that conversation. I'll, I'll mention a few books, too. Jonathan asked me to say this. Uh, there's some books out there I would not recommend because they're, they're vulgar, they're despicable. It's, it's kind of like uh, only 50% is good. But there's other, other books, like, for example, um, Mike Foster just published a book called It's Good to Be a Man. And I have not read it yet, but I, but I, but I have heard about it. And one of the guys who I respect read it and said, y'all, what he did was in that book is he, he grabbed all the truths from these other places and read and put it in a, in a, and consolidated it in a way to where it's readable, it's not offensive, and it's profitable. So one book is good to be a man. Another book I kind of leaned on with this psychology stuff is failure, failure to be a nerd or failure of nerve by Edwin Freeman. It's a book on leadership. And he basically does the same thing with a leader has, you know, there's going to be, he uses terms. Like I said, when you give, get language to identify something, then you can, he gives you language to show, show that there's sabotage, there's triangulation, and a man is a leader. And the woman is going to try to sabotage it every now and then. She's going to test it. She's going to triangulate. And that's a, that was a helpful book on leadership, uh, Ed, Edwin Freeman and the, the, is the author, and the book is called Failure of Nerve. And his whole point is leadership is, is simply about don't lose your nerve. When you lose your nerve, there you go, you failed. <laughs> okay. And uh, you had your hand up. That's a that's a mirror reflection of what I. It's a, you can use a different language, you know, frame. You know, she comes behind. Otherwise, it's not going to work. She has to have that leader, that hypergamy, all, all those other terms. That, that that he's exa- he is explaining it. Yeah, exactly what I just said right there. I haven't read the book yet, but um, I feel like that he would say absolutely. Well, what I was using in this really was trying to use the Bible. He's using kind of psychology, I guess, but I'm using creation and i'm trying to show you that the sun and the moon are actually reflecting the truths of that book and what even non-christians observe so it kind of defends the biblical faith even more when you see it it illumines reality Um, i'm trying to think of another helpful book or something yes sir randy Yeah. 
Yeah. Another imagery that I've used to communicate that is a football line of scrimmage where you are on the, the one-yard line and you're one yard from making a touchdown. The, the uh, quarterback grabs the ball and runs in, and then somebody comes behind the quarterback and does this, pushes him as much as he can into the goal line. I think that's beautiful. He's got, he's got the direction. He's got the football. But somebody pushes him over and helps him get into the end zone. And that's the submission. It's a it's an active work of how can I utilize my glory to, you know, I mean, how are you men? Don't you know you you, you can conquer the world whenever your woman says, yeah, you can do it. You're like, really? Okay. You know, she pushes with her glory. Go, Randy. <laughs> Who pushed in the right direction? Yeah, all that. Uh, and. And this is one of those conferences where if, if, if there is full of females, men and women, it's like, you got to be sensitive to this stuff. You know, I can talk to y'all frankly, but it, you, you got to angle in with a woman different, and it's good that all of uh, it's all men here. Thank you, Randy, for that, that observation. That's a helpful term, and always remember the, the sub mission is under a man's calling and goal. Uh, one more thing, real quick, what you said. Anytime you arrive, you're on, you're, on, you're on your new beginning line. You know, you got to keep going. you got to keep going. I don't care how old you are. Just say, sweetheart, that's what we're going to do next. Let's, let's go have fun over here. Let's keep going, going forward. You go ahead. Uh. The curse. Uh, let me let me just talk about it and see if I answer the question. First of all, I think God is trying to start the circle of benevolent love again. He is renewing her desire. He is renewing His rule so they can start this circle. And you see it. He gives her a better name or a new name. He does not call her the mother of death, which He would have done if He was still a jerk and um, blaming her for everything. You know, this woman you gave me, that's why I ate. He calls her the mother of life. It shows he's upgrading her name from Isha, that's woman, to the mother of life because he's looking forward to the future life that she is going to bring into the world. So it shows his repentance. It shows that the circle of love is going starting up again here. Um, and um, is that answer your question about how, how it's... That's one part of it. Um, it, was just, it those, that, all that stuff is mixed with ju- blessings and judgments. It's some redemptions and some punitive things. Uh, Adam is going to eat his daily bread. That's a good thing. Lord Jesus, give us our daily bread. We prayed in the Lord's Prayer. But some, something's going to drip from his nose. Literally, it's a nose. It's the same place where the Spirit blew into him. It's not his brow, it's his nose. And he is going to sweat for it. So there's a blessing mixed with the curse. She's going to have 
multiplication of, of children, many, many, many children, but it's going to be painful. And so what you see is that God is kind of like dealing with his children. He is, he is really spanking them bad, but he's, he's mitigated. And this is a, a, a type of wrath coming upon them. It's a seed of wrath. Hell is a full version of wrath and judgment. Um, and then he clothes them. He actually, you want to grow up? Okay, grow up. You want to gr- get the, the fruit? Okay, you got to live with it. Now you got to get out. It's kind of like if a teenager gets pregnant and they got, they got to grow up fast and they got to move on with the future. That's basically what they did. They grabbed for adult rule, adult responsibility, and now God says, okay, you got to grow up. Here's some clothes. You're forgiven. I sacrificed the animal. You're justified by faith. Uh, but you got the curses and the promises. The curses on the creation and the promises of redemption. And I move out. And that's the best way I can quickly summarize what's going on there. And some of that is, is reflecting this. But I think a lot of it is redemptive in the, in the, getting the circle and fixing the marriage. Um, does that answer your question, Jonathan? Okay. Uh, and then I'll get. Oh wait, a few more seconds. Anybody else? Um, I'm going to go ahead and close this with prayer. I thank y'all very much for having having me, and I'm enjoying to see all you guys. I'm actually encouraged to see so many of y'all here. <laughs> um, I don't see many young men in my church, and this is like just it's a, it puts fuel in my spiritual tank. I'm, I'm serious. And I thank for, for all y'all being here. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll give us wisdom that is wiser than a serpent, that you will give us all wisdom to be the great, great sunlights in our, our marriages and our families. We pray, Father, that you be uh, with, with our families or with our wives, that you will give them grace, that you will help them see the beauty of Scripture. We pray, Father, for all of our churches, that you will bless our, our congregations with healthy and fruitful marriages. We pray, Father, that you'll cause a wave of revival and reformation throughout our country that will bring people to the biblical worldview and give us all wisdom to apply Scripture to all of our life. And we appreciate, Lord, how you have grown us from glory to glory and how you've given us a bright and glorious future ahead of us all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.